Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm really excited to share with you this morning. We are starting a three-week teaching series talking about why church. Why church is our question. Now, like I said, uh, like we talked about um, um, before, we, we want to spend these three weeks talking about why church. And it's a really simple question. But I think if we're honest, our responses may be filled with different perspectives or stories or experiences or struggles. But we, we feel like as a church, and, and me and Ian have been working on this series together, um, that we feel like we're an important season as a church and as a community, and that we want to reconsider some of the core questions as we begin to move forward. So we feel like this is a really core question. So what, what I want to consider this morning is I want to consider big picture. Why church? Okay, I want to talk about the kind of overarching themes of what it means to be the church. And then next week, Ian is going to be responding to the question, why do we gather? So why do we do this thing here on Sunday mornings? And we want to kind of address that a little bit. And then on week three, we're going to be looking at the question, why groups? Why would we consider, uh, we've talked about it here already, we're, we're kind of pressing into small groups and some of those things again. I want to talk about why we're doing that. I want to talk about why that rhythm can be helpful for us as followers of Jesus. Now for me, I've, kind of, I've had quite a journey uh, with, with the concepts and the communities of the church. I, I came to faith, uh, well, I, I went to church a little bit with my mom when I was a little kid, uh, but never really got plugged into the, the community there. And then, uh, and then I met my wife in high school. In, uh, in grade 10, I fell head over heels. Um, those that uh, follow Dee on Instagram will know that she posted the most embarrassing truth about myself, but I asked her out on Valentine's Day in grade 10, and she blew me off because she told me she had to go to her grandparents' house. Hey, there she is right there. She had to go to her grandparents' house, so I'm still unsure as to whether or not she went to her grandparents' house. That val- She did. Oh, wow, you guys went to your grandparents' house on Valentine's Day? That's, that's weird. That's kind of weird. I don't know what that's feeling, but... <laughs> We did, yeah, we did. Okay, so, but I met my wife and, uh, well, my wife now, I met, I met this girl named Dee, and uh, I asked her out a whole bunch of times, and she said no, and then eventually she invited me to come and check out her youth group. Um, so I am actually a product of Flirt to Convert. Now, now, I don't preach that. I was a youth pastor for a long time. I don't recommend that necessarily, but I am actually a product uh, of that. I got, I got plugged into our church, uh, began to be mentored by our pastor uh, there. I got baptized that summer, went on a Mexico mission trip, and my life flipped over upside down. The whole course trajectory of what I thought, who I was, um, what purpose, meaning, and stuff in terms of life and faith and everything, obviously all changed my trajectory. So I began leading worship. Uh, in the church right away. I think I was 16 years old the first time they let me lead, which is nuts. It was terrible. It was really awful. So, um, but, uh, but, but shortly after, I began to, to lead worship more and more and more and began to lead in kind of different capacities. And it was during this season that I felt God began to speak to me about uh, moving into pastoral ministry, even vocationally. So it was a job, um, what it would mean to become a pastor. So I went to Bible College here in Calgary. And then we went out to Cranbrook. And, and, and for many of you, you know some of our journey. But I was involved in a church there for, uh, uh, for the last nine years. Um, I was a youth and worship pastor there for the first five, and then I was the 
associate pastor. Dee and I were associate pastors there for the last three. And, and I've had a lot of different experiences in church. One of the other the experiences I think that is, that is noteworthy is, is when I was in Bible college, um, I went to Rocky Mountain Bible College, and it was a non-denominational Bible college, which honestly I loved um, because, uh, you mean, in our theology classes, some of those sort of things, we would sort of begin to unpack things, and our professor would never tell us kind of the right answer, what he felt like was the right answer. So we just would have all these kind of riley debates, and, and a friend of mine, uh, Darcy and I, we used to go and lead worship at a few different churches during that season, and uh, it was during that time that I first kind of went into a more a charismatic uh, church experience. I, I grew up in the Baptist church, so I'd never heard tongues. I never thought about tongues. I read about it in the Bible, but I wasn't really too sure about them. And, and some of those sort of things began to just sort of experience different aspects of the church. And then, uh, and then a couple years ago when we were on our sabbatical, we traveled across the country and down through the states. And during that year, we visited 30, I think it was 31 or 32 different churches um, that year. Um, really uh, wild, um, sort of more charismatic uh, churches, really reformed churches. The smallest church we went to was six people. The largest was uh, over 10,000, I think, um, during that season. So, so I've had a few different experiences um, within the church. And, and honestly, the church has meant different things to me in different seasons. Um, at times, it has been a, a place of home at a place of family, and at other times it has honestly been a place of pain and difficulty. I have felt built up and encouraged within the church, and at other times I have honestly felt betrayed and broken. Um, it has been an incredible source of strength and vitality for me, and at times a place most draining and exhausting. And it happens all the time. I have conversations with people who are, who are indifferent to the church or even at times hostile, and they feel the need to apologize to me about it. I don't know if you ever had that experience. They say something like, I could never go to church again based on this experience, or I could never, I could never even consider being a part of the church because of what they did about this or, or how they handled this or some of those sort of things. And, and honestly, I've heard it all. And, and, and my journey with the church at times has been no different. But I also assure people, I have seen it all probably closer than many too. You see, because if we're honest, especially if we follow Jesus for a while, or we've been a part of different church communities, we have seen some come and some go. Some for heartbreakingly justified reasons, and others just sort of fall away. And it is from this place that I want to approach the question, why church? Why do we bother with this thing? You see, even for those of us sitting in the room, we probably have reasons one way or another to disconnect or to walk away, but we are here. So why? Why are we here? Because for me, honestly, I believe in the church. For all that I've seen wrong under the name or the banner of church, I've also seen some truly beautiful, incredible miracles too. I've seen lives changed, I've seen addictions broken, I've seen marriages mended, I've seen relationships restored, seen bodies healed, I've seen purpose discovered, I've seen people give their lives to Jesus, and I still believe in the church, not always for what it has been, but for honestly what I believe that God is calling it to be. And for me, I want to be a part of the change, a part of helping the church, maybe even this church, to be all that that God is calling it to step into. So as we jump in this morning, I want to pose a couple of questions. Now, now I know for some of us, as we consider our journeys with the church, they might be filled, like I said, with some beautiful things or some things that are, that are incredibly hard. And I'm not asking you to bear your soul by any stretch in five minutes, but I do want you to consider our, your journey as we press into God's heart for the church. So I'm gonna throw three questions um, up on the uh, screen. Three questions are, what words come to mind when you consider the church? 
Number two, when talking about church with those that don't follow Jesus, what words can come up in conversation? And number three, what do you think are some of God's intentions for the church? Just a couple sort of questions. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you five minutes. I would encourage you if you're, if you're willing to turn to maybe somebody near you, have a conversation about this, or if you just wanna sit to yourself and just kind of ponder or think through these questions, that's fine too, and then we'll jump back in in a minute. Are you okay with that? Sweet, let's go. some words that come to mind? That first question, what are some words that come to mind when you think church? Anybody? Family. Outdated. Fellowship. That's a good word. That's interesting. Fellowship, yeah. What else? What's that? Body. Okay. Community. Over here. Safety. That's good. Safety numbers, okay. Anybody else? 
Worship, yeah. Jesus, yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Practical jokes and laughter. Wow, yes. It's the bird family if I've ever heard a description. Anybody else? What about number two? I'm just curious. What are, when, when talking about the church with those that don't follow Jesus, are there any words that come up in conversation that you hear? Good for you. Yeah. That's fair. That's your, that's your thing. That's awesome. Yeah, good for you. Cool. Anybody else? Unbelief. Okay. If that works for you. Yeah, that's fair. Hypocritical. Not into that. Hypocritical. Okay. Santa Claus for adults, wow, those are good. We should, there's our next series right there that we're gonna talk about. <laughs> wow, no, that's good. It's, it's important for us to, to be honest with these things and to consider these things for sure. Whether, yeah, whether it's us or, or yeah, the, the heart of the question was, you know, in what is a word that maybe comes to mind or a word that, that gets brought up with those um, from those, from those that don't follow Jesus or aren't part of the church. Fear, deception, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Hmm. Yeah, totally. It's good. Yeah. So, so as we start, I, I do want us to, to have some of these thoughts, some of these ideas, some of these words um, in mind. I do want us to engage this personally um, this morning. So, so as we start, I, I do want to give us just a loose definition of the word church, just to be clear what it is that we're talking about. So, so we're going to base that definition from the New Testament word for church, which is ecclesia, which means the called out ones. So when I am speaking about the church this morning, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about an organization. I'm not talking about an event. I'm not talking about a church service. We are going to talk about the gathering next week. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about the people of God. Right, because it's not about, the, the church isn't this thing that you go to on Sunday mornings, right? We hear this all the time. It's this thing that you go to. Look, we are the church. We are the people of God, the called out ones. And the other thing that I want to say just as we start, sort of my caveats as we start, is that, is that some of our teaching this morning is going to be quite simple. Um, honestly, some of the scriptures, some of the ideas that I'm going to present this morning, you've probably heard them before. But what I want to push us in as a community this morning isn't our understanding but our practice. Because sometimes in the church, sometimes in faith, what happens is we think, oh, I understand that idea, therefore I'm ready to move forward, right? It's like, I get that, Joel, I get what you're talking about. I've looked at these verses before, right? But if we're honest, when we, when we talk about following Jesus, that's an action, that's a movement, that's something that we actually step into. So it isn't just about intellectual assent. It isn't just about us understanding the ideas about church. It's about us being the church, us stepping into the realities of what it means to be the church. There's this famous story from Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, and, and he translated the Bible, and his people had the Bible. And again and again, week after week, Martin Luther would preach the gospel. Again and again and again, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. He would, he would look at the stories of Jesus. He would just preach that again and again and again. And there's this story of, of someone in his community that came up to him and said, you know, Martin, we, we're, we're getting it. Like, we understand the gospel. Like, we're ready to move on. We have the whole Bible now. We have the scriptures in our own language. We can read it and understand it. Can we begin to unpack the other things? Why do we keep coming back? back to the gospel 
And Martin Luther has this famous quote that says, I will continue to preach, preach the gospel as long as we continue to be a people that come in here needing to hear it. So that's the thing I want to push us in this morning. It's not necessarily big or complex thoughts or ideas. I want to push us in our practice. I want to push us in who we actually are as a church. In Matthew 22, we have Jesus' response to a question about the greatest commandment. And as much as it is the greatest commandment for us individually, I also think as the people of God collectively that this is also applies to our message today. In Matthew 22, Jesus is teaching, and it says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, teacher referring to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I think as we start a conversation about why church, first and foremost, why church? Well, church exists to be a people of God, a people who love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, a people who love the Lord, a people who follow Jesus, a people who worship God, a people who are dedicated to all that God has for them. This is the main thing, friends. This always is the main thing. This always will be the main thing. And yet we constantly try to put other things in its place. You see, first and foremost, the whole church is about God. And to enter into the church, to enter into the community of faith, our desire to use church to meet our needs must be surrendered. You see, community cannot meet the needs that you are seeking to gain from it. We must be a people who turn to God, turn our ideas to him above all else, not just the community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian and pastor, wrote a book called Life Together, and he said this, those who love their dream of Christian community, which is the church, more than they love the Christian community itself, become destroyers of the Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand it to be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter into the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. He goes on to say, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ, which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly, calmly we will learn to think about the community and pray and hope for it. Here, here's sort of a way of looking at this that, that I've seen within the church and honestly that I've, that I've experienced in it. I think sometimes there's a bit of a tension when we think about how we engage the church. And I want to use this arrow as an illustration. So what happens, I think, sometimes as we enter into community is if we don't have the main thing, the main thing, it creates all sorts of other problems. So for me, if I'm, if I'm gonna come and I'm gonna come and enter this community, I'm gonna come and be a part of this community, and I come with my arrow facing in. So it's about me, it's about my preferences, it's about my needs, my desires, it's all ultimately about me, right? When I walk into this community and I walk in with this, 
right? I don't need to play with this illustration very far. We know the toxicity of that, right? We know that what that's going to create for me, the tension that's going to create within our community, right? I think also what can happen, though, is we can enter community um, with, with, with a great heart, and the heart is like this. And we can enter community, and we want to enter community, we want to, we want to love this community. We think the, the first and foremost, the primary thing of the church is, is community. I just want to be a part of this family. I want to love the people around us all the time. That's what I want to do. I just, I just want to be a part of this thing together. But what can happen is, is that we begin to do those things out of our own strength. And what happens in the midst of that is when the community maybe doesn't receive me the way that I want it to receive me, or, or maybe when I have some negative experiences relationally, you know, it, cre- it creates a level of, of disconnect. It creates a level of brokenness as I enter community. The other thing that can happen when I enter community is I can enter community like this. I think this is a great heart, right? So I enter community, and I, and I, and I just long to be about the world around me. I want to be a part of this thing, but I want to be, but I also, like, I long to have relationships with all these people in the community around us, and I long to be a part of this thing. But the problem again there is that I become the savior. That it becomes my strength, it becomes my calling, it becomes the things that I wanna do for God. As opposed to when we enter community and we enter community like this. And what happens is we come into church. We come into the community, maybe it's a gathering, maybe it's a small group or whatever, and we come in with our arrows pointing up. And what happens as we do that? Well, we fix our attention on God. He becomes, he becomes the main thing. He becomes the thing that we're, we're here to worship him. We're here to hear from him. We're here to give him praise. And what happens as we do that? He gives us a heart for the people around us. And he gives us a heart for the world. I believe that he does. But what happens is we need to start when we enter community with our arrows pointing up. See, because what happens is we can begin to do this and we can begin to help others to do the same. Because there are times and there are seasons when, when I enter into it, maybe it's a small group or maybe it's a church gathering, those sort of things. There's times and seasons where maybe I'm struggling and maybe I do enter community this week a little bit like this. We do the first song and I go, man, I hate that song. I'm honest or, oh, I just really wish there was this or that or whatever, right? Like we, we, we have those weeks, right? And what we need is we do need people around us that remind us that this is the main thing, lovingly and graciously, right? We need a community that reminds us the main thing again and again and again because we miss it and we lose it all the time. That as a community that we can help each other to lift our arrows to God, to lift our pain, to lift our hopes and desires and dreams and struggles and joy and sorrow to the God who loves us together. Ultimately, for me, I think these are the moments in church, even in a gathering, when the Holy Spirit is most felt. Those are the times where we sit back and we go, wow, God is so good. It was so good to be in community this week. You see, Dee and I have been involved in church for quite a while. We've led in all sorts of different ways. And one of the things that we've learned is that so often the times where we have the least to give we have the least to offer. Those are the gatherings where we most struggle to make it to, those times where we could just sort of like check out or we can chill out at home or whatever. Those are the times when God seems to speak the loudest. Those are the times where we can most lift our arrows to him. And the reason why is I'm not walking in with a message going, oh, I have such awesome things to offer the people around me. No, when I'm worshiping back there this morning, I'm going, God, I want what you want. I want your heart. God, help me to communicate to your people that you love all that you have for them. God, I don't want much of Joel this morning. 
I want the Holy Spirit. I want God to speak, right? That, and that becomes our focus and our intention. And, and sometimes those times where we just want to check out or we don't want to go or whatever. And, we, and, and for Dee and I, we just decided, you know what? We'll go. We'll participate. You know what? We're, we're still going to have group tonight. We're going to have people over and we're going to pray and we're going to share. We're going to be honest to say we got nothing to give this, more, this, this evening. Those are the times when God, when we create space to allow God to create something beautiful in our midst. You see, this is the power of true biblical church community. Not what we want or desire or dream up or long for in and of ourselves, but how he brings us together. How he leads us. How he loves us. How he forgives us and reconciles us. How he inspires us and teaches us. This is what it means to be in community. This is what it means to lift our arrows to Jesus together. So when you enter community, I'll ask you the question, where is your arrow pointing? Even just be honest with yourself. When you entered this gathering this morning, where was your arrow pointing? Because if we're honest, and, 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 I, and I can be honest this morning, a lot of the hurt that I've experienced in the church, a lot of those experiences have been because, honestly, my arrows were not pointing in the right places. That sometimes we can even point our arrows in terms of good things. We can point our arrows to relationships, we can point our arrows to pastors or leaders. That becomes the main thing. I just want to serve them. I want to be a part of them, right? We, we, we point our arrows to relationships. I want to, be, I want to be a part of this thing. Right? I, want to, I want to love these people. I want to do this thing really well. And, or, or we can point our arrows to achievement or to work, to ministry, to ideals, to dreams, to unmet expectations, as opposed to first and foremost fixing our arrow on God. Do you hear what I'm saying here? Because I think, honestly, we do need to remind ourselves at time that the church doesn't hurt people. The church doesn't. The organization doesn't. People do, right? If we're honest, sometimes we have that perception to go, oh, man, the church, they just betrayed me. Well, the church didn't betray you. A leader might have. Or a community might have. There might have been a few people. Maybe there's a, but, but, but when we disconnect our hurt or our pain or experience and we place it on this sort of unnamed entity as the church, right, that, that creates something really difficult, right? How do we heal from that? How do we process that? How do we forgive in the midst of that? As opposed to if we're honest to go, oh, no, the church didn't hurt me. That person did. And then we can begin to process with God what it means to heal from that and engage the community in a more healthy way. I know I've needed to do that time and time again. I listened to a message a little while ago from Francis Chan. I don't know if you're a fan of Francis Chan or not, but, or if you, if you really know what he's up to right now, he's a bit unruly these days, so some of the things he says in conferences are pretty, pretty fun. And this is, this is a, a conference message I was listening to that, that he opened with, and, and it was kind of like a big, like, rah-rah, exciting conference, and, and I loved it. It was just, like, great energy, and I remember I was kind of watching the worship, and then he comes up. He's like, are you guys having a good time tonight? And everyone's like, yeah! And it was, like, so awesome, right? It was just kind of like a rally. He's like, oh, this is so awesome. And then he goes, is God having a good time tonight? And everyone goes, yeah! Right? It was like, oh, my goodness, like... Do you know what I mean? He sort of like unpacks and stuff a little bit, but I think that's such an important question for us, right, as a church. That we enter even a gathering or we enter the church or whatever, it's, it's necessarily about me. It's not about my wants or needs or desires. It's not about my favorite songs or my favorite speaker or my favorite teaching points or my favorite verses or those sort of things. We do need to honestly ask the question, is God having a good time 
this morning. That when we worshiped this morning, was God lifted up? Was he praised? Was he glorified? Was he enjoying the sounds of his people this morning? I think it's an important question for us to ask. You see, one of my favorite passages as a worship leader is found in, in, in the Bible is found in Amos 5. Now, you might think this is a bit of an unusual passage, but I think it just brings me back to the main thing again and again and again. In Amos 5, in the message translation, it says this. This is God talking to his people. It says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? He says, do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. What is God communicating here? What is the heart of this passage? The heart of this passage is that God doesn't have a favorite style of music He doesn't have a favorite way that we gather. He doesn't like when the lights are up or when the lights are down. He doesn't like only Hillsong songs. He doesn't like hymns anymore. Or he doesn't like only hymns and not Hillsong songs. God God isn't about that stuff. What God is saying is he wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our attention. He wants our focus. He wants all of who we are. and He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. From an honest place that, that goes, God, I want what you want, not what I want. He wants devotion. And then from there, he wants us to do something about it. So we see in the second part of that passage, you know what I want? I want justice, ocean of, oceans of it. You know what justice is? Is justice just an idea that we talk about on Sunday morning? No, it's something that we walk out. It's something that we embody. It's something that we bring to our workplaces, our environments, right? He says, I want fairness, rivers of it. Is it. To be fair, can we just talk about fairness? No, we actually have to be fair. You see, what God is, what God is saying is, he's like, I want your hearts and I want your lives. Sorry, I'm getting a bit excited there. Okay, so, so first and foremost, we have to start from that place. We have to start from the place that God wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our attention. He wants our focus. And the second part I do want to look at this morning when we talk about why church is community. And I think I heard that word come up time and time again. And, and, I, and I love that word, the idea of us being a people who got, of God who passionately follow Jesus and then a people that do that together, that love like family. Jesus, again, in Matthew 28 like we looked at earlier, he says the second is like it. So you have love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment's like it. He said love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what we do is we go from the place of fixing our attention on Jesus, from the place of our arrows up to those around us, to love like family. And the thing that I love about this community is this is a church that knows this well. I love how this church community loves one another, cares for one another, serves one another. This is what we are called to be as the church. You see, biblically, Christian community is characterized by what what many call the one another's of the Bible. 
There again and again this theme, this one another idea. There's 22 distinctive one another's in the scripture, but overall there's about 54 different ones. These are the commands about how we as a community should treat one another, right? So we have greet one another, love one another, honor one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, on and on and on. Be devoted one another, accept one another, submit to one another. Some are simple, like greet one another or care for one another or comfort one another. And some are more complex, like bear one another's burdens, or spur on one another, or submit to one another. But let's look at just a nice simple one this morning. Love one another. One of the places, we do find it in multiple places, but one of the times in scripture where we see this commandment for for God's people is we, we read it in John 13. It says a new, this is Jesus' teaching. It says a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It sounds simple, right? Love one another. Okay, I got it. So we do these sort of love one another things, and then we, we love one another. Oh, that's great. Well, let's, let's judge our ability. Let's just be honest. Let's reflect as the church on our ability to, to love one another based upon the fruit that it says that it will produce in this passage. Tracking with me? So let's look at it. It says that we can, we can invest in something and we can judge it by the fruit that it produces. Well, right here in John 13, let's bring it back up on the screen if it's down. It says, what, is it, what fruit does it say if we will love one another? It says, I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, right, so it's talking about the result of this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Okay, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Let's look like objectively at the church. Just kind of like big picture church. Like, let's just look objectively about that. If, if you're having troubles with this, I apologize. Come and talk to me after. But let's just look at objectively at the church. And by this, I mean all churches. Do people outside the church know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way that we love each other? Or does the community around us know about the scandals? Does it know about the infighting? Does it know about church splits and tensions and politics and all that kind of junk? They see and hear more of that stuff, right? And that ultimately, like, you know, part of that is the media and some of those things, right? They want to they jump on those sort of ideas or whatever, but our love should be loud as a church, even in this community. Let's not, let's not even look objectively. Let's just look honestly at this community. Is the way that we love one another, does it communicate something to the world around us? Maybe in some ways it does, but do we have a bit of room to grow there? Maybe. I'm new. I don't know. You tell me. Because <laughs> the clincher is in verse 34. It says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, we need in all of these acts of community and all these things, all these one another's that we begin to step into, it needs to first and foremost start with Eroza, right? It needs to start from that place. It needs to start from a connection to God because we need Jesus. And I'm not saying that in a cheesy or simplistic way. I'm saying that in an honest way. We can't do this out of our own strength. That there will be times that, that loving the family, just, just the community parts are gonna be really difficult. And we're going to need the Holy Spirit. We're going to need the love of God to walk us through those. There are times, if you've ever been involved in a small group, man, there are times where it's like, God, I really love people, but that person, my goodness, I need Jesus to love that. Can we just be honest about that? Are you with me? Like, I'm the only one. Oh, that's okay. So if, I've heard this said once, if you've never had that experience, maybe you're the person. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) 
I'm kidding, obviously kidding. But but anyways, like like you mean we we will honestly need the love of God. We will honestly need a relationship with Jesus to be able to love the community well. Right? It's gonna it's gonna grip us, it's gonna rub us the wrong way at times. But we need to be willing to invest in it. Because I I'll I'll tell you a secret that replies that applies to most of us, if not all of us. Uh, we do suck at love. We suck at serving at times. We suck at being others-centered. We are way too selfish, aren't we? At least I know I can be. Here's the thing. We need Jesus. We do. We need to come from that place of who God says that we are. We need to come from that place of this relationship with God, saying, God, give me a heart for the people around me. Give me a heart for the community around us. As a church, God, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. So as a church, we become a people of God who passionately follow Jesus. That's the first and foremost. And then we do that in community. We love like family. And honestly, there's a million more things I could say about that, and we'll go there later. But, but for what purpose? For what ends? For what means? And the answer to that is that all would know the love of Jesus. The third piece I want to address is this idea of what it means for us to live on mission, living for more than just ourselves. When we talk about the church, it does exist for more than just itself. It exists for passionately showing and sharing the love of Jesus with the communities around us. You see, when addressing this big picture, we must consider the great commission that Jesus calls all of his followers to in Matthew 28. Since Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth. I've only preached here like three times. I've used this verse twice. I'll probably do it many more times. But let's, let's look at that again, right? All authority. How much authority does Jesus have? All of it. And how much authority is he using to sort of make this statement? All of it. He's using it all. He's saying all authority has been given. And I'm using all this authority to make this really important statement, challenge, this call. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, we talk about this often as a church, but do we live like it? Do we chase this great call that we all have as followers of Jesus? Do we even as a church orient ourselves around this call? I think for too long, our understanding of the church, if we are honest, has been theoret theoretically or even theologically about reaching the lost, reaching those that don't know Jesus. But practically, an emphasis on us actually going out in the world to make disciples is kind of absent. I believe there needs to be some rethinking about the church and how we live into and more embrace fully this great commission. Because, friends, we are all called to make disciples. I'm not the only one called to make disciples. Ian and Val aren't the only ones called to make disciples. Your, your leaders are the people that you look to, maybe even the people discipling you. Maybe you're still kind of early in this stage going like, I'm not even sure what a disciple is. I'm still figuring this thing out. That we're all called to go and make disciples. That even if you said yes to Jesus yesterday, that you can lead somebody in that one day. You can lead somebody as far as it is that you've gone yourself. That we all have this call. Brad Briscoe, an author and missiologist, says it like this. This is really interesting, so I want us just to consider it for a second. It is not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world. It's that God has a church for his mission in the world. Right? So you understand the difference, right? So we begin to rethink how we are as a church, how we operate because of this great call, because of this mission that God is sending us out into. 
A couple weeks ago, um, Dee and I had a really, really difficult week. Um, it was really... Um, it was really challenging, and, and we were kind of like just in the process of stepping into um, a part-time a job here, and we were kind of processing a bit with Ian and Val, and we were kind of just processing, but man, it was just like a really, really heavy week. We had a close friend of ours um, uh, just come and kind of have a conversation with us, and, they, and, and, and I don't want to get into the details, but honestly, she just dropped a bomb. <laughs> it's like it was one of those things where something was said in the living room was like, holy smokes, that is messed up and broken and crazy. And it was heavy, and we were praying through it and processing it, and 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 then and then we got another message from from some other friends of ours, and, and their their marriage is just imploding, and our hearts were just breaking. Right, we were praying, and and then I had this really weird experience where I was this sounds in light of those two things, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but honestly, it just shook me. This really weird like road rage experience where I was pulling into a parking lot, I had my clicker on, you know, kind of as you do when someone's pulling out and someone was coming the other way and he came the other way and put his clicker on and, and the car pulled out and the gracious thing to do would have been to just see him and let him have the spot, but I was in a rush. So I just pulled into the spot and I was like, I was there, I was the clicker, you know, and all that sort of thing. But then I got out, I'm taking Zoe to her dance class and the guy gets out of his car and he starts like swearing at me. In the midst, I'm walking with my seven-year-old daughter, and he's calling me out. He's saying, if she wasn't here, I'd kick your blah, blah, blah. And like all this stuff, I'm like, wow, like what is happening right now? <laughs> Welcome to Calgary. <laughs> yeah, really. Any of us that have driven for a few days have had a few, a few experiences. Uh, and then we got um, a message. Um, uh, one of Dee's um, friends, we, we had this message about uh, a family member of theirs that, that had committed suicide. Um, this little girl, she was 13 years old. And, uh, and our hearts are just broken. And we're looking around, we're going like, God, like what? Like what is happening? Like this is so crazy. And we sat burdened and we sat broken in our living room, didn't we? And we began to pray and we said like, God, like what is going on? Is this attack? Is this the enemy? Like what is this? And we felt like God spoke to us in that moment. And what we felt like God said is he said, this is why. When we talk about why, Church, friends, this is why. When we consider why, church, what I believe we need to rediscover is, is a heart for those around us. A heart for those that don't yet know Jesus. A heart for the broken. I think sometimes we can get so comfy and cozy in our Christian circles and rhythms that we can miss that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be right now. And my heart for us, even as a church, is maybe even a year from now, I could come up here and I could say, why church? I could say, why do we do this thing? And even for those of us in the room, we would know why, because we'd know who in our mind. When I asked the question, why church, it would instantly bring to mind your coworker that needs Jesus. Or it would bring to mind your family member that needs Jesus, the, the, the person on your recreational sport team or something, you'd have these stories, these things, that this would be the center of what it is that we are because God has sent us into the world to be his hands and feet, to love like Jesus and to make a difference. When we ask that question, why church, we would know why. 